Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. In 1 John 1, 9, he says, if you confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, problem one that sin causes, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, the second problem. And this is what we see when we look at the coming, the prophecy that speaks about what's coming for the Jewish people when it says in Zechariah 12.10, Zechariah 12.10, it says that the Jewish people will look upon him whom they have pierced and they'll mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one is in bitterness for his firstborn. So when that happens, when they come to face-to-face with sin, then lest they should be plunged into a hopeless despair where there's no hope, right away in the first verse in chapter 13, Zechariah 13, 1, God says, in that day there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. So the two side. Okay, well, This commandment, the seventh commandment, is the one that creates the greatest amount of uncleanness in the soul when he says in verse 28, I say unto you, whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And now, when the Lord said that, we have to picture this. The people were astonished, as we saw in Mark 1, 22. They were astonished at his doctrine. They were astonished to hear There's something wrong to look on a woman to lust after her? That was shocking for them. They were shocked. They were shocked. I I can't scan a woman. I can't give her the once over. That's wrong. And so the Lord said, yes, and he focused specifically on the looking. He says, looking on a woman. And then he goes on in verse 30, and he says, if your right eye offends you, then better remove that. I mean, it's better to remove that. Okay, that's what he said. So the whole idea here is looking. And when he talks about looking, it takes us back to the first sin. The first sin of Eve there in Genesis 3, verse 6. Genesis 3, verse 6. It's very interesting how the sequence of her sin is described when it says, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eye and a tree to be desired to make one wise. And she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. So it all starts there with the woman seeing the fruit. It all starts when it says it was pleasant to the eyes. It starts with their eyes. That's how it happened with Eve. She looks at the fruit. She says, oh, that's very nice. And then she takes the fruit herself. And But actually, if you kind of focus on a little bit, before her hand reaches up to take that fruit, she has actually seen in her mind, in her imagination, how good it's going to be to eat that fruit. What's going to happen? 
So before she even reaches her hand out there of the actual taking of the fruit, the first step has already occurred. She saw it and she's envisioned in her mind. And that was the lust that she had for the fruit. And that lust had been conceived in her heart. And that drove her to reach out and do the act there of taking the fruit. So it all starts with the eyes. And that's why the Lord says, whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her. And then, as I mentioned about Joseph, when he was propositioned with by Potiphar's wife, the Genesis record carefully points out how it all started with her. It says in Genesis 39.7, Genesis 39.7, it came to pass after these things that his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, lie with me. I mean, what a description. She cast her eyes upon Joseph. It reminds me of a fisherman. He's casting a net to catch the fish. She's casting her net, her eyes out. She's imagining this as she moves forward with her proposition and then reaches out her hand and grabs Joseph and then leaves with this coat. And then a great deliverer of Israel was Samson. He delivered Israel from the Philistines. And you think about Samson. Of course, I always think about Samson. We think about how strong he was. But as strong as he was to overcome the Philistines, he wasn't strong enough to overcome his own eyes and the women that he looked at and lusted after. And this is how the whole history of Samson opens up for us in Judges 16.1. In Judges 16.1, when it says, Then went Samson to Gaza and saw there a harlot and went in unto her. So Samson's eyes land on this woman, and then lust is ignited in his heart, and then his act follows. And this eventually, because it carried on, led to his destruction with Delilah. And it's interesting what it says about what happened to him, because his eyes were seeing all these women. And then of all that the Philistines could have done to Samson, I mean, of all that they could have done to him, they focused on his eyes and they gouged out his eyes. A very, very horrible, very horrible scene. They gouged out his eyes. It was almost like, Samson, you couldn't control your eyes. It was really better for you if you plucked out your eyes. The Philistines will do it for you. And so that's what happened. And then the greatest trouble that happened in Jacob's family all started from a man who couldn't control his eyes. And this was, of course, the rape of his daughter, of his daughter Dina. And it all started, as the record shows, in Genesis 34-2, Genesis 34-2, when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, this is Dina, he took her and lay with her and defiled her. So the steps were he saw her, he took her, he lay with her, he defiled her. And then David, David, who... Really, we get an introduction to who David is with Goliath. He conquers enemy after enemy, but there's one enemy that overcame him. And that record is in 2 Samuel 11, 2. 2 Samuel 11, 2. It came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her. So again, 
This is the record of David's defeat when it says in 2 Samuel 11, 2, he saw a woman washing herself. The woman was very beautiful to look upon. So when you look at all these mighty men and you see their defeat, it all begins with their eyes. And that's why the eyes of the lost are described in 2 Peter 2.14, 2 Peter 2.14, which says, they have eyes of adultery that cannot cease from sin. Then that's an important link. The eyes of adultery and then that cannot cease from sin. That word cannot is a very strong word. It means it's not that they may not or cease from sin or they, they don't want to cease from sin. As long as the eyes are full of adultery, this is a matter of cannot, as an inability. It's the same thing that the Lord said to the Pharisees in Matthew 12.33, Matthew 12.33, where he said, either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Now, the world is just one big enticement of the eyes. That's why the world's described in 1 John 2.16 as for all that is in the world, 1 John 2.16 says the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's not of the Father. The lust of the eyes is not of the Father, is, is of the world. It reminds me, I think I told you this before, when my three boys were little, well, it was two at this point. My boys were little, and San Diego Hardware used to be on Fifth Avenue. I remember, who remember San Diego Hardware on Fifth Avenue? Of course, Don, you do, because you're the oldest person here, so... <laughs> Yeah, so it was down there on Fifth Avenue, and we were in the 70s, how San Diego was really kind of more of a sailor town. And so that meant that there were all kinds of pornographic shops down there, especially on Fifth Avenue. And so one time I needed to go down to San Diego Hardware, and my little boys and I we had to walk on Fifth Avenue because we couldn't park in front of San Diego Hardware. So it would mean we had to walk by the pornographic shops. So I told my boys, I said, now, boys, I said, no, we went down there. I said, you just walk down. You look, just look at the sidewalk. <laughs> I, said, I said, don't look to the side. And I said, just do what it says in Proverbs 4.25. Proverbs 4.25 says, let thine eyes look right on. Let thine eyelids look straight before thee. So it's the whole matter of the eyes. And Job was a person who struggled to control his eyes. And he knew that his heart was going to follow right behind his eyes, which is why he said in Job 31.7, Job 31.7, if my step hath turned out of the way, mine heart walked after mine eyes, if my heart have been deceived by a woman. So the picture here is that his heart is walking right after his eyes. States this step by step. Now, and then the wisest man in the world, Solomon, he fell. He fell in this area, and it says in Nehemiah, when he was rebuking the Jewish people because they had, were falling in the same way that Solomon did, Nehemiah 13.26, Nehemiah 13.26, he says, did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations was there no king like him who was beloved of his God, God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. So you can kind of picture Solomon, and he's looking back over his life. He's envisioning his heart following after his eyes, his downfall, and he says, I've got to write something down so people don't do the same thing I did. 
So he writes Proverbs 4.23. Proverbs 4.23 that says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. This is a sequence. The eyes, the heart, just like the Ralph Wilder Emerson wrote when he wrote this, he says, sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. That's just following what the Lord is saying here in Matthew 5. Only we would probably add one more phrase to the top of that, which would be, sow a glance, the eye, sow a glance, reap a thought. Sow a thought, reap an act, sow an act. Reap a habit, sow a habit, reap a character, sow a character, reap a destiny. Because that's what the Lord is saying in verse 28. Whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her. And Job was so troubled by this, by his eyes looking where they shouldn't have looked and by the impure thoughts. It's interesting because he says, I made a bargain with my eyes. I made a deal with my eyes. It says in Job 31.1, Job 31.1, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? So it's almost like Job could have just written right after that, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. <laughs> oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. So he's so concerned with this about what his eyes are looking at that he says he made a covenant with his eyes. Now, that's pretty graphic. I mean, you know, Job, he says he makes an agreement with his eyes. I mean, can't you imagine the conversation that, that Job might have had with his eyes? You know, the negotiation part. <laughs> he might have said something like, now look, eyes. Here's the deal, <laughs> he would have said. If you look on a woman, then my heart is not gonna be pure. I'm gonna be impure. And that's important for my heart to be pure because blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. So eyes, if you feed my heart with the impure, then you won't be able to see God. And seeing God is far more pleasurable. And so let's make a deal. Here's the deal. You don't look on a woman to feed my heart to lust and get defiled and then you get to see God. And his eyes said, that sounds good. And so then Job walks away in Job 31.1 and says, I made a covenant with mine eyes. It was successful. Anyway, okay, so you think I'm crazy. That's fine. All right, anyway, so Abraham said that Sarah was his sister. Pharaoh took her to be in his harem. And then he realized that God warned him, don't touch her. And then he returns her. Pharaoh returns Sarah to Abraham. It's interesting what he says in Genesis 20, verse 16, Genesis 20, verse 16, when he says, unto Sarah, he said, behold, I've given thy brother a thousand feet of silver. Behold, he is to thee a covering of the eyes unto all that are with thee and with all other. So what he was saying to her is he was saying, may your husband be a protective cover of you like a veil so that others won't look and lust after you. Now the Lord, again, he's going through saying things which are astonishing, which are shocking to the people. He talks about the heart. He says, committed adultery with her already in his heart. So you can imagine the people sitting there thinking, I never heard of heart adultery before. That's what he's talking about, heart adultery. Heart adultery, that's radical. That's the adultery that comes from thoughts and desires. And he's condemning that. And this is what David said in Psalm 66, 18, Psalm 66, 18, when David said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. 
it's interesting, though, the word regard, the Hebrew word ra'ah, which means to see. So what David was saying there is, if I imagine, if I see, if I envision iniquity in my heart, then God's going to withdraw himself. He's talking about fantasies because the Bible calls thoughts and desires like that, calls it the conception of sin. It says in, in James 1.14, James 1.14, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when sin hath conceived, brings forth death. Lust is pictured as a conception of a pregnancy. And just as sure as their conception, there's gonna be pregnancy, and just as sure as their pregnancy, there's gonna be a birth. And the birth is the sin. And so the Lord makes this statement about adultery in the heart. And it's almost like a signature teaching for him. It's like you could picture how the Lord comes known by this statement that he's made. And it was this teaching in verse 28 here about the adultery in the heart that came into strong play when it was an early morning. It was an early morning, and he was in the temple, and a shocking thing happened. It's in John 8, 2, John 8, 2. Early in the morning, he came again into the temple. All the people came unto him. He sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken adultery when they had set her in the midst. They say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her. Let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground, and they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone. I mean, what a scene. What a scene. It's early in the morning. The Lord's come into the temple. He's there to teach. And all of a sudden, in that same morning, men burst into a house, catch a woman in the act of adultery, drag her out, set her before the Lord, and demand his verdict. And the Lord doesn't engage. He doesn't engage in their outrage. He just stoops down. He writes something. And then he gets up. And he looks at them and says, okay, he's without sin, I'm stoner. And all those men think of what sin? Obviously, the sin of adultery. And all those men realize that before his teaching that they would have said, I never committed the act of adultery, I'm not an adulterer. But now it's all different because they know that he has taught, verse 28, whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery. And they each think of how many times they looked on a woman and lusted, and then the record says that they began, that first of all, they were convicted by their own consciences, and then they went out. And it says, beginning at the eldest to the last. Now, why did the eldest leave first? because they looked on more women. They had a longer list that they lusted after, and they were the most guilty in their heart, and they felt that. So this verse in verse 28 is probably the most used verse in the Bible to strip away this claim that I'm not a sinner, 
like the testimony of Dr. James Tour. Dr. James Tour is a Jewish professor of chemistry at Rice University in Houston. He put his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and when he was asked, well, how did that happen? It was this verse that God used to call him out. He was a freshman in college when a young man from the Navigator's Campus Ministry shared the gospel with him and had him read Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so Jim said to him that, well, I'm not a sinner. I've never robbed a bank or killed anyone. He said, because in his mind, you had to do something to like rob a bank or kill somebody to be a sinner. And then the man from the Navigators asked him to read this verse in verse 28. But I say unto you, whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And that hit him deeply because at the age of, at that time he was 18 years old and he was already addicted to pornography. There wasn't any internet in that days and so, but he got a hold of a lot of pornographic magazines because when he was 14 years old, he worked at a gas station on the highway that went in and out of New York City. And the salesmen would come on Friday nights and they would throw all their magazines away on their way home. And so he would get those magazines. And so here he was now at the age of 18, and he thought nobody knew. He thought nobody knew. He thought that it was his secret. So when he read this verse, verse 28, it shocked him, and it grabbed his attention. And that's what caused him to then listen more as the navigator said, but God has a free gift for you to forgive your sin, to cleanse you. And that's when he started going to a Bible study at the Navigators. And then later, when he was alone in his room, he confessed his heart adultery to the Lord. And that's the power of this verse to show men the issue of sin. Now, the Lord now is going on, and he addresses now a response where a person might say, oh, well, yeah, I mean, you know, a little, little looking to lust, it's not a big issue. After all, every red-blooded man does that. And that's why now the Lord goes on in verse 29, and he says, if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee, more profitable for thee, one of thy members should perish, than that thy whole body should be cast into hell. So uh, it's interesting that the word, the Greek word that he uses here, that's used here for offend, if thy right eye offend thee, scandalon, if the right hand offend thee, it means to set a trap. It means to stumble. So what the Lord is really saying here is that in order to stop this heart adultery, there has to be control, control taken. And it's so important to control this that if the eye is offending, it's better that you lose an eye. If the hand is can't stop touching women, it's better you don't have a hand. But there is another way, uh, fortunately, than plucking out eyes and cutting off hands. And it's what Paul referred to in 1 Corinthians 9.27. 1 Corinthians 9.27, where Paul said, I keep under my body and bring it to subjection. In other words, Paul is saying, I am in a constant battle to keep this under control. And he spoke about in Colossians 3.5, Colossians 3.5, about the importance to mortify your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness. And the word mortify means to put to death. In Galatians 2.20, he speaks about being crucified with Christ. Well, to die by crucifixion, you need another person to do that. You can't crucify yourself. And so that's why it says in Romans 8.13, Romans 8.13, that if we live after the flesh, we'll die. But if we through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the flesh, we'll live. 
So it's the spirit that brings about this death. As he spoke about in 1 Corinthians 15.31, 1 Corinthians 15.31, I die daily. He said, I die daily. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 